Hello there, you're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We will also be talking about two new releases that are in theaters, Pixar's Lightyear and the new Baz Luhrmann biopic on Elvis. screenwriter for the movie version he's also credited on the show but he was not really a part of it uh when it was getting turned into a show they brought other writers on but because it was the bare bones of his story they had to credit him but he was in an interview recently and talking about his vision for it apparently it was originally supposed to be a movie trilogy which i'm not about but when he was talking about some of the story details that they ended up changing i was like dang what we could have had because he was saying Riva, instead of ever knowing that Anakin was Vader and going after him that way, yeah. she became an Inquisitor because she blamed the Jedi Order for everything that happened. For okay, that makes sense. With the clones, for allowing Anakin to get to where he is and slaughtering everyone. Not That's doing what I thought it would it. be when, when the show first started. That's the, the direction I thought they were going to go in. I know, and it would make sense. And then, towards the end... She ends up working with Kenobi because she finds out Anakin is Vader. And now she has a reason to go against Vader. That and then sense. she also got killed in that screenwriter's version of it when she was fighting Vader. She ultimately wasn't able to take him out. That's so but, much better. That improves the biggest flaw of the TV show, which was those Inquisitors. Exactly. And that it also sucks. avoids her trying to kill Luke for no reason. No and then reason. having a turn of heart and somehow still surviving after getting stabbed by Vader earlier, even though he would have, there's no way he wouldn't have just do-gooed her. Yeah, that would have been so cool. If you do-gooed her, that would have been so cool. That's what I'm saying. Like, just make her a tragic figure. You can do it. You don't have to have every single person redeem themselves. And also, in that version, it sort of would have been redemption, because then she would have realized. It would have been, but then there also would have been consequences for her previous actions of being an Inquisitor. Exactly. She it pays the price. Complex and complicated and tragic and all those things instead of just what we got, which was dull. Yes, predictable and it soiled everything. Nonsensical. Soiled it. Exactly. So, just That's another awesome. tragic idea of what could have been. Oh well, let's do our box office breakdown for June twenty fourth to the twenty sixth. Coming in. Well, first, let's make a note that this has been the first time. Since 2018, that four films in the top 10 grossed over $20 million. The last time was in 2018, the weekend of the 23rd to the 25th of November of that year. Uh, in order, it was Ralph Breaks the Internet with $56 million, Creed 2 with $35 million, The Grinch with $30 million, and Fantastic Beasts 2 with $29 million. This is usually because you'll have one big release in a weekend that'll take all the box office from something else, or there just won't be anything big in a weekend, so nothing will make that much. But when things even out and you have like 
like like mid tier movies coming out at the same time as other movies as box office are starting to decrease. You might be able to get above 20 million for four films. That's great that it happened again. Uh, and just as a side note, in that weekend in 2018, the fifth entry in that list was actually Bohemian Rhapsody, just under 20 million. That's, that's just a neat thing since Elvis came out this past weekend. Exactly. Another biopic. And Elvis was able to be the top earner at the box office for this weekend with 31.2 million. So it just edged out Tom Gun because in the estimates, they were the mm-hmm. exact same at like 30.5 million. But yeah. in the actuals that came in over Monday, we found out that Elvis was the king of the box office. Yes, sir. And coming in second, of course, was Top Gun Maverick with 29.6 million. And it now has entered the billion dollar club. It made 520 million domestic so far. That is absolutely incredible. It's amazing. It's so impressive. Tom Cruise. Good work, Joseph Kaczynski. Absolutely fantastic. Yes, everyone involved. It was amazing. So our first billion dollar film of this year, second of the pandemic overall. This is wild. Nobody saw this coming. Nobody could have Man. predicted a billion dollar performance. Out of I wish Top this Gun had Maverick. been my wild bet. God, I know be my, it would have been this would be my biggest regret of the year. I know this is definitely the one that got away, but so happy for Top Gun for dominating this much. I mean, it'll probably be in the top three or top four worldwide for sure. At this point, mm-hmm. it's going to be top three domestically for sure. It might even be number one. We'll have to see what happens, but yeah, absolutely outstanding performance for Taka Maverick. In third place, we have Jurassic World Dominion with 26.7 million. It has now crossed 300 million domestic and 750 million worldwide, so it's trudging along just fine. Just after Jurassic World Dominion was the Black Phone with 23 million in its opening weekend. That's very impressive for a lower budget uh, independent, not independent, uh, a lower budget horror film coming out in, you know, June. Still very impressive. In fifth place, we have Lightyear with 18 million, a substantial 64% drop. This Yikes. is tragic. I'm Man. so sad. Cannot yeah, believe it. Heartbroken. Wow. Yeah, what a tragedy. Uh, after that was Doctor Strange with 1.7 million. After that, Jug Jug Geo. That's a real film with 725,000. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, now we're down below the 1 millions. Yep. So, everything everywhere all at once with 533,000. Bob's Burgers, almost at 500,000. And the bad guys, just a little bit below that, at 455,000. That is now at 95 million domestic. And unfortunately, the bad guys will not be reaching that 100 million mark, though it did get very, very close. Indeed, it was a good performance. All right, now for our predictions for this upcoming weekend, July 1st to the 3rd. It's also a holiday weekend. July 4th falls on the Monday. So a lot of good business will be coming in, I'm sure. And. We have an exciting few weeks ahead with two films that will get released, one from each of our rosters. This week, it is one from your roster, your animated pick, Minions. Hell yeah. Here we go. So we'll have to see if it was an anomaly that Lightyear flopped or if animation as a whole is just struggling at the box office. We will see. But to give you an idea of the Minions franchise, what openings they have had in 2015, the immediate predecessor got 115 million opening. That's the biggest of the entire franchise and all the mainline Despicable Me mm-hmm. movie openings uh, from the original in 2010. It got 56 million. The second one in 2013 had 83. And then the most recent Despicable Me film to come out in 2017 had 72 million. So what do we feel like Minions 
Rise of Gru will get this weekend. I feel I feel the need the need for minions and I'm feeling like it could end up around 100 million opening. That oh is going to be God. I'm going wild here. Universal <laughs> is going top dollar with their advertising on minions. They're going nuts with it. And people love minions. It's the only big family movie out right now other than Lightyear, but yeah, like that's a competition. And I feel like it doesn't have much competition this weekend other than families wanting to go see Top Gun Maverick for July 4th weekend. But July 4th is also a family uh, weekend and Top Gun isn't for little, little, little kids. Minions is. So any family who has a little, little kid is going to go to Minions. All the whole family buying a ticket for every single person. So I'm feeling like it is going to do gangbusters. I'm going with 100 million for the, the four-day. For the four-day, four day, okay. For the four-day. Gotcha. 100 million for the four-day. <laughs> I'll go 87 million for the four-day. Might even get to 90 million, but I know I'm hoping it doesn't get to 100 million in the four-day. That would be very good. Uh, and that would make me sad well I, i'm always happy for any film that does well but then it would just make the light year performance even that much more heartbreaking yep because it shows that it's not just animation it's just it was just light year <laughs> but yeah minions i think it'll certainly do well as you talked about so yeah 87 million four day for me 100 million four day for you yep and we will see next week how it turns out the only other big prediction I could make is second place is definitely going to be Top Gun Maverick. Oh, and it's going to do amazing. It might even meet like if there's going to be a drop from next week from last weekend, it'll be minute. Very, very minute. Everybody's going to go out to see Top Gun Maverick for Fourth of July. Right. I mean, it'll get over 30 million in the four day for sure, which is crazy. Crazy. All right. So now we can move into our next topic of discussion where we will be talking about Lightyear. Lightyear! Not, not do great box office wise, but we will talk about know. how we felt about the film itself irrespective of its box office performance. So, just to start with some initial impressions and of course we will be doing some spoiler stuff as we talk through it. So, if you haven't seen it yet, go out, please. It needs help. <laughs> it is struggling, so go see it. And then come back and listen to our review of it. But you don't somebody, need to see it. It'll be on Disney Plus eventually. You don't can just you wait. Dare. Just don't wait until dare. Disney Plus, honestly. Nah. You know, it, you're still helping Disney if you watch it on Disney Plus, so they won't be upset if you do that. So but you want to help theaters. It's the theater owners you want to no, help. No, theaters are doing fine nowadays. I mean, look at Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> you don't need to contribute to light. Plus, if you want to contribute to theaters, you should go and help out the opening movies like Minions this weekend. No, 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 no. They'll be fine. A bunch of kids and families will go there. You should go see Lightyear. Bring your whole no, family. Take no, them no, away no, from Minions. No, no, no. Disney doesn't need any more money. Come on. Help out Universal. Come on, guys. We need it. Come on. We're building right. a whole new theme park. We need the money. Come on. <laughs> so, for Lightyear, initial impressions. For me, I thought it was competent, but kind of uninspired and forgettable. What about you? I thought it, I thought it was fun. I don't really have any giant complaints other than 80% of the jokes didn't land for me. And I thought the writing was very simple. Like other than that, it's fine. You know, 
I had a good time. I enjoyed, I mean, still, there's 20% of the jokes that did make me laugh. And that's still, you know, a, a triumph for a lot of movies these days. There's not a lot of movies that make me laugh. Were those days, at least. 20% all from Socks the Cat? Not all, but most. <laughs> yeah. There were some, like, I feel like Taika Waititi's character did make me laugh a few times. But for the majority of it, Socks was killing it. Dude, best part of the film by far. Socks was carrying that movie. Like I would watch it again just for Socks. I will not watch it again just for Socks, but I would watch a supercut on YouTube. That's just Socks. In I would also do that. I want my own Socks. That's what I'm I saying, have, and guys. I have Socks. I'm talking about. I'm talking about the toy from. Like, yeah, the I cat socks. socks. Although Socks for feet are always good. Too. Although my socks are also starting to get holes in them, so I should That's probably get saying. actual socks. You always got to get new socks. Yeah. So here's the thing. So the framing device of the film which is that this is the movie that Andy saw, which inspired him to get the toy Buzz Lightyear that we see in the original Toy Story. So I think that's a very interesting framing device. The I don't like it. Is They didn't actually go for it because they didn't make a film that was like a schlocky sci-fi B-movie that would come out in the 90s. I think that would be cool if they actually went for that. They didn't. This is like a very much modern film in every every way imaginable. And it also breaks that idea because are you telling me that andy wouldn't have a socks toy well that's not even the worst part the worst part to me is there's already a light year tv show that was the tv show that the toy was based off of so they've mm-hmm. already made a television show that was like an animated kids show that was the perfect setup for andy getting the toy exactly so they they already did this concept and they're just redoing it i just wish they had taken this concept because like as basic as it is, it is still, you know, ABC complete thought out and works, even though it's simple and doesn't like change my feelings about anything. It is a movie that like, I guess, you know, any movie is a triumph if it has a start, a finish, an end, and it all <laughs> makes sense and it works. It's just not groundbreaking in any way. So I just right. wish they had taken this concept and just made a new movie that wasn't Buzz Lightyear that was just an astronaut or like just a group of people that are on a planet because I like the idea of we're spoilers by the way for Lightyear we're going to spoil the movie I like the idea of him crashing the ship and having to deal with that mistake and then him being so dedicated to fixing it that he wastes his life with his friends and family and jumps 80 years into the future repeat like over and over again in order to try and fix it. Like, I think that's an interesting right. setup. Like the first five minutes of the movie didn't have me excited. Like I thought it was bad. I thought the first five minutes was terrible. <laughs> it was not I great. was like, this humor is bad. Everything about it is bad. And this is going to suck. Everything after like that intro where they, he, she puts the patch on him. This is light year. And it's like his name and stuff. Every time, like when they make that first year jump to when he's about to do the first test, everything from then to the end, I was like, it's fine. You know, I can sit through this and I can enjoy it in a way. It's so much better than the first five minutes. If you put this movie on on Disney Plus and you're dedicated to watching it and you get turned off by the first five minutes, I promise you the rest of it is so much better. Not not great, but just better. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it would have been better had they just done this separate of Buzz Lightyear because I just don't see how it connects at all to the toy. I don't understand how the character has anything to do with like the persona we see the toy as in Toy Story doesn't fit. Right. To me, it doesn't match. They're not one to one. I agree. Well, because they also, again, they play this Lightyear as much more 
serious and mm-hmm. much more mature and whatnot, which again is why I think if they would have gone the route of like the nineties campy B movie, it would have fit more. It would have matched up a lot more. Mm. Um, but they didn't do that. And to your point, I agree. The first five minutes were not great. Then after that, like the first act where it's focusing on him doing the hyperdrive stuff, trying to yeah. test that out, get that back going, uh, mm-hmm. back to operational, and the whole time dilation thing, where we see that montage of Hawthorne is aging and he keeps going on the missions. I thought that was really effective. And especially, yeah. even though you knew exactly where it was going, I thought it was very effective when he comes yeah. back and then she's gone and then the hologram plays. It was and, really good setup for the movie. Like, yeah. I thought it did a very good job setting up a good story. It just didn't pay off as well. Agreed. And then when she did the to infinity and beyond thing and they like touch the fingers and then do the explosion, I thought that worked really well. Like that was one of two moments in the film that got any sort of emotion out of me. Mm-hmm. Then... After that, I think the movie goes downhill quite a bit. Like that part I, I thought was really not, good. I think the rest of it was quite a bit, but okay. it definitely does have a drop off. Yeah. I think quite a bit. We'll talk about it. But yeah, that, that part really worked for me. The things with socks, of course, worked for me worked for me Fantastic. throughout. Uh, but then once he steals the ship and then does the thing and then comes back and now it's thirty years later, mm-hmm. and then he has to team up with the misfit crew. That part of it, again, just didn't really work for me at all. Because the team, and it's like, again, the reason I say it's competent, and as you said, like it had the simple writing, but it makes sense. Like there's beginning, middle, end. Like you can see what they're doing here. But the execution of it, at least for me, it just didn't really connect. Like I didn't really care about any of these misfit crew people. It's like they thought it out really well, and it does work on all levels, but it's just not particularly interesting or world changing or new or anything it's very very basic yes but it does work technically from a writing perspective in theory yeah it does but again the issue is it didn't it didn't like actually connect with me which yeah is the one missing component is it actually uh making that emotional connection i think the Um, reason for that is that the only two characters in the whole movie who have arcs are buzz and izzy the other two misfits don't really have an arc. They're just comedic relief. Socks is pure comedic relief, so it works even better. Like, like the other two misfits have like a pseudo arc where they're just trying to be brave and be good space rangers, mm-hmm. but it's not completed in any super satisfying way other than they complete the mission. So it's like a pseudo arc that we don't really care about. Whereas Socks is the complete other end of Buzz and Izzy, where he doesn't have an arc at all. He's just comedic relief, and it works because he's funny and it's fantastic. Exactly. So like. I wish with that crew they had either fleshed out individual arcs for those other two members to like really give them something to do or just dialed it back and made them like just straight comedic relief. I would rather them had given them arcs because I feel like socks as straight comedic relief is enough. Right. Maybe if you had too much, it would just be absurd. But if they had given them their own like fully fleshed out arcs individually, I think it would work better. I agree because as it is now, I mean, that's how I feel is that they were just comic relief and it was just very one note like there was nothing really interesting you knew you could already anticipate all the jokes they were going to make from like the moment they get introduced so nothing was Mm -hmm. exciting about them again they were obviously overshadowed by socks as the comedic relief character uh so it would have been better if they had arcs also like they could have just been taken out of the film entirely like we didn't we didn't really need them uh and taika waititi's character for me it just really didn't work. 
Like, I like you really Taika didn't like it at all. That character, I just I couldn't stand it. I was like, none of this. I didn't laugh once at it, and it actually he, la- he made me, me laugh a couple of times. I was like, the oh. pen stuff was excessive, but he did make me laugh a couple of times. I'm just failing to remember what they were because they weren't big laughs. They weren't <laughs> right. like socks laughs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, that's why. So the crew again didn't really connect, and again you get that idea of like, like you're having to work with these other space rangers. He usually likes to go out alone. He doesn't like rookies, and these people are all rookies in terms of yeah. the space ranger stuff. So again, like on paper, yeah, it works, right? But yeah, it doesn't really not, work. It doesn't connect. It's not completely entertaining. Yeah, which is bad. It's not like if that part is missing for sure. It wasn't as fun as it could have been. Um, to me, it's like reading an outline rather than actually watching the movie itself. Like you're getting the beats, but you're not getting a lot of emotional impact that the movie's supposed to do. I agree. Yeah, there's just a missing. Like the heart isn't there, which is crazy because it's Pixar. I know they are so heart. And yet, this one was missing it. Despite this one was all the... story and almost no heart. Yeah, which sucks. Very true. I and that to... is, I think, that's probably the big thing that people don't like about it is when you go into a Pixar movie, you expect a lot of heart and well thought out emotions, and this was mostly just plot. And a lot of movies can get away with that, but it's hard for a Pixar movie to do it because you can feel them trying to make that heart in there. They're, you feel it trying to build it in, but I feel like they're so focused on making a movie where they can market Buzz Lightyear as this cool action hero that they're not dialing in the heart completely which sucks mm-hmm. yeah and i wanted to talk about the the inside out sandwiches real quick oh just God. as a thing to bring out i thought it was so stupid i thought so too and the way that they were trying to normalize that at the end of it he's like you know that did taste pretty good i was like what like yeah, you're, I was what like, are you doing no i understand <laughs> the concept of like it's been 80 years and they've been isolated on this planet so trends probably change but at the same time it's like it's objectively worse. What do you mean there's too much bread? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. They, they're like, just... like bread, meat, bread. That's too much bread. I'm like, that's so stupid. You want more meat than bread? I know. No. That's, that's nuts. It should Wait be 60, they... <laughs> 60% bread at least and then the rest filling. Like why would you want only 30% bread? That's not enough bread. Yeah. Wait till they hear about Big Macs. They'll go nuts. And also it was only 30 years. Well, I guess, I don't know it how long. It was 80 years. Well, 80 years since they landed, but certainly they wouldn't have all of a sudden just started putting two meat slices onto the either side of bread. Like there I mean, how often do you think he's eating? I mean, that's the thing I wanted to wonder. I was like, how often, like how long does he spend on the planet between missions? Does he like wake up and the next day he's going for it? I don't know. Or does he spend time? Because the impression that I got was that he would come home, say hi to socks, sleep, eat, get on the ship and go again. Right. So from my perspective, it was like he's been doing this for maybe, you know, uh, like a month at the most. And it's been 80 years. So perhaps he just hasn't eaten a sandwich in that month, which is possible. They have those weird little they do. trays. That's that was pretty cool. Yeah. So the I was like, building. it is possible that he just avoided a sandwich. What I didn't like is when he lands and it works and he goes, finally, after all these years. And I'm like, dude, it's been like a month to you. It has not right. been 80 years to you. Like that is the wrong perspective for you buzz to have. Cause you aren't the one experienced time experiencing time that way. Right. That's a little nitpicky, but it was just like, you know, you think they'd catch that. Agreed. But yeah, 
going back to that, like the inside out sandwiches, that was just funny to me that that was like, it was the one bonding thing that they had for the team as well, which I did like that again, on paper, they have to have something that bonds the team together, but it didn't really work. I don't think, um, cause yeah, it was just that one moment. Stupid. And then also, yeah, because you're just sitting there looking at the animation the and like the glistening like, who would like that <laughs> the glistening meat sweat that gets left on the counter when they put the sandwich on the counter with just the meat there and i'm like come on you can't come do that on. you but can't yeah. even do it when it's the bread let alone i know i wouldn't do that with just the bread but the meat you're putting the meat on there meat's even worse imagine taking huh. a slice of salami and just slapping it on your desk <laughs> it's horrible and then picking it up and eating it oh gross truly criminal but yeah so that that was pretty funny another thing i want to talk about was the theme that they had going about mistakes because obviously it start it starts off with buzz making the mistake of trying to keep going and lift off even though he wasn't going to make it over the cliff and that maroons them on that planet uh, and then again they're trying to talk about like listen sometimes the mistakes can be wonderful like in an unintentionally wonderful because mm-hmm. hawthorne would have met her wife and had kid and then had grandkid um, so Izzy Hawthorne never would have been alive had Buzz not made that mistake. And so they're trying to say, like, look, sometimes mistakes can end up being happy accidents, which I like. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think they go overboard with this idea of making so many mistakes because everyone in the crew does it. And we're in a life or death situation here. Sometimes it's not OK to make mistakes when that happens. Sometimes they don't always work out or have no consequences, especially if you're in a life or death adventure sort of scenario and so I think they do end up having consequences in the movie like they make mistakes like uh buzz not telling them that their uh incognito has like a timer or them messing up with like the ship crash landing you know like they they have the consequences but then they make the best of it well and then try then, to continue forward I, I agree but because it's a kid's movie it all has to work out like it all works out in in a real situation. What? Zerg would have sent those robots, would have killed them because he's going to erase their lives anyway. So he doesn't care. And then he would have just gotten the hyperdrive thing and that'd be it. But of course, because his kids movie can't do that. And so he randomly sends out these robots at nonsensical times, but just at the right moment for it to match up with the plot. And, oh, we need action here. So we got to have a robot come down, things like that. And, oh, the ship gets destroyed. But. There's one of those little teleportation things on there. So that works out. So again, the basic idea, I think it is fine. It's, like, but I it's like it. they're problem solving. Like a mistake happens and then they adapt and fix it. Like but it's some not of these, like I, some of these mistakes, though, are very, very stupid, which also yeah. is annoying. Like Buzz wouldn't have forgot. He's going to forget about the incognito thing has a timer. Which I can believe it. Like he's he's pretty annoyed and like he he's like arrogant and not thinking about them. Like, I think that's the point is that like he's not considering. And then eventually he does remember it because it happens to him. And he goes, oh, wait, I forgot to tell them. Right. He's just so busy with getting them away from him. Like, I think that works. And I think the idea of the mistakes works as well, because it's like the lesson of the movie is even if you make a mistake, even a stupid one, you can still find a way to, to fix it and. Like, it's not like everything works out the way that it's planned either. Like, by the end of the movie, everything's changed. They're just staying marooned on the planet. Buzz doesn't get his way. He learns a new lesson. Like, he learns from his mistakes and then things change. And also, their plan doesn't go according to plan either. They adapt to the mistakes they make. It's not like they do the plan where they fly up to the ship, destroy it, come back down, and then escape off the planet with the hyperdrive. 
they can't get to the planet, so they have to adapt and use the teleporter to get there. And then they can't uh, fly off the planet because, or they can't fly off the ship because of, uh, they don't have the hypercore anymore because Zerg blows it up. So he has to fly around and he has to, to try and stop it. You know, like they're adapting to the situations I in the way agree. that a space ranger would. No, no, no. Well, a space ranger wouldn't make so many mistakes in the first place or bring along rookies that also would make so many mistakes in the first place. And again, I'm just saying the idea is fine. Like the basic premise I'm okay with, but they're just heavy handed in making it, making them make so many mistakes and they all work out because they have to. And yeah, you're saying they have to adapt to it. Sure. That's fine. But Again, in any sort of serious scenario where this stuff was going down, I mean, they would have been dead nine times over. Um, but they don't learn. It's not like they make a mistake and then there's no consequence. So they don't learn from the mistake. Every time they make a mistake, they learn from it and then they adapt and change. Which is what you're supposed to do. Like, do you think they're not going to make mistakes? There's specific really- one where they like adapted their mistake. And then when a similar potential for a mistake came up, they didn't do it like there's many times where it's just like when the Taika Titi character was clumsy and nearly killed socks oh I thought that was falling down from like a, a small height but whatever I'll give you that I'm talking about like the the situations of like continuing the plan forward and making mistakes that hinder the plan but then adapting to it things like him dropping socks I thought was stupid like I was like yeah. what but again like that and then he like talks about being clumsy and I feels like he does everything wrong and I'm like sure but like <laughs> bro you almost killed the cat like just be a little bit better or like well, when that's he's what in... i'm saying about all of it of yeah okay you can make mistakes that's fine but in these very serious scenarios like it's not okay sometimes to just like continue to make mistakes and be clumsy like sometimes you gotta be better than that uh and so that's just the what i took issue with was that they were in my view applying that same sort of sentiment that you take issue with with the sock situation and being clumsy that was okay. me to them with every mistake they make like, it's okay here and there, but I feel like there was so many, and I didn't see that they, like, adapted to a particular mistake. Like, um, maybe I can't remember it, but if they had made a mistake, and then later on in the film, the potential for that mistake to be made again almost happens, but then they're able to course correct and avoid that same mistake, I feel like that would work. I'd be more okay with that. It just felt like a series of mishaps and mistakes and forgetting things and being clumsy in order yeah. to push this idea of like, oh, mistakes happen, but then you can adapt and everything's fine. And I'm like, in some situations, okay. yes, but not in all. And I feel like they never really address the point that like not in all is it okay. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the plot twist with Zerg. I thought it was dumb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like what they're trying to go for where this is the catalyst where Buzz learns his lesson of like, trying to fix the mistake at any cost would technically be wrong mm-hmm. because his version is we're just going to get off the planet and go somewhere and go back home. But then future buzz is like, Oh, they don't even want that. So I'm fixing like, he's like gung ho about fixing the mistake at any cost because deep down he just wants to not have made a mistake because he's insecure. Like I like what they're trying to do with older buzz. I just think it's stupid that they just threw in time travel. I know. That's the problem I have with it. Like, the idea of a future Buzz having that opinion and that being the cat, like, I think that is an okay plot point. I just hate that they threw in time travel out of nowhere for no reason. Agreed. I 100% agree with that. It just felt so, like, shoehorned, and they had to say a thing to explain it away, where, like, he was time traveling using the hypercore thing, but then it only brought him back this far, so now he has to get it again, and that's why we're seeing this current Buzz, and I'm like, this is just a little 
I also hate that he just Ridiculous. stumbles upon this giant spaceship and they don't explain how he becomes the commander of it. And I know. Like, they controls just, all the robots. They he just has to mention it. that. <laughs> he just has it. You say, I found all this new technology and it was amazing. And I'm like, yeah, but did nobody tell you that it's there? Was it just floating out there and, and also, perfectly functioning? Well, yeah. And if you have that new technology, why didn't you just make multiple hypercores? Yeah. Mining like these planets and you have. Multiple- oh, because they have that bit where he destroys the computer that has the formula on it. So he doesn't have the formula. And for some reason, Sox can't remember it. Well, yeah, why wouldn't Sox be able to remember it? Or just you'd think try again to learn what it was like he did the first time. Strange. But it was again, just such just... an obvious thing when he like lands on the computer and it breaks. I'm like, oh, so now they only have the one. Like that's, I know, yeah, that was that's very why they did it. Obvious uh, conceit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that one was like, eh. I did like how the old battered socks he rebelled a bit and then he got killed oh, yeah which is kind of hardcore goes, i bought you five minutes i love I that when he shoots the thing is i bought you five minutes yeah that's cool. so funny and i will say the other the second of two emotional parts in this film one where i actually felt a little bit of tension during all of the action stuff was when socks almost got lost in space really it was it was happening for you yeah did you not i was like i don't want him to float away I just knew he was going to get away. caught. I knew they wouldn't do that because they already killed one Sox. They're not going to kill both. I know. That, I that would be like, just traumatic. Him. I was like, catch my boy. It would just be unnecessary. So I knew but it was going to happen. they caught him. I don't know how she caught him. I mean, he seemed far further than oh, yeah. reach. But It was definitely movie him. magic. But it's <laughs> yeah. weird because it's an animated movie. So you think that they wouldn't do movie magic, but they did. Yeah, it was a little odd. Um, but yeah, so but then, I guess, you know, it's supposed to be a real movie in in andy's universe so i guess movie magic is allowed even though it's animated um but yeah so then the ending buzz destroys the whole hypercore thing like leaving behind his mission in order to save the world i think that's cool it works um and then he gets back and then he's allowed to pick his crew and he picks the misfits of course i guess it's cool even though they really didn't spend that much time together and they're not that proven but whatever uh and then i guess they're just they're just chill with space being on the planet forever and they're just going to go off and do space ranger stuff i yeah. kind of feel like given the fact that there's still a bunch of the man hunting vines and the bugs that want to kill everyone and now they have to live in laser shields laser shield <laughs> we have I, a new solution laser shield i feel like i don't know abandoning that whole mission of like maybe we should get the hyper core thing up and running i feel like we should still maybe explore that idea but okay yeah, but it's going to take 80 years for Sox to fix it. <laughs> Apparently. You think he would have, whatever. He was able to keep that, like, store that one message from the Hawthorne, like the deleted file that he got brought back when he was rebooted. You yeah. think he would have been able to store that information about the Hypercore, but... Yeah, you'd think. Okay. Um, okay, so any final thoughts? I just... Really wish it was better. I wish it wasn't Buzz Lightyear. I wish it was just a new thing. And I wish they had fleshed out more of a, an emotional through line for the characters. To go along with the already decent plot. Right. I think that's well put. Again, I'd have preferred had they just gone a very campy route. Um, that's the other solution. Yeah. But also that might have just been too much. Maybe. But like if, it was like, if it was like Top Gun camp. <laughs> <laughs> like they went all out like 80s movie kind of thing that's what i'm saying like that might have been be like a very, lot very fun though because it would make sense like pairing that with like a kid's movie idea and then this is a volleyball what, scene that would be hilarious top gun light year it makes that sense been cool i mean there are made a billion dollars it would have there are similar plot points like him trying to reach hyperspeed 
It's the same thing as the Mach 10 yeah. in Top Gun. So yeah. Oh, one of the things we didn't mention about this movie is that it is just gorgeous. Like it oh. looks incredible. Yeah, I did have something there at the beginning. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. It's beautiful. That's something that nobody is- could take away from it is that Pixar is like the top of 3D animation. It is for sure just outstanding. The way that they made like very realistic everything, realistic everything, but they very narrowly avoided the uncanny valley is incredible. Agreed. Okay. So out of how many mission logs out of five are we giving this one? I'm going to give it a three. Gotcha. I'm going to give it a 2.5. Wow. Yeah, I was originally giving it a three, but after thinking on it more, I'm like, I don't know if I'd ever want to watch this again other than a socks supercut. Yeah. So I'll give it a 2.5. It's fine. It's fine. But yeah, nothing spectacular, especially with Pixar's track record. Yeah. All right, now we're going to move on to the other movie we were talking about, the movie that came out just this past weekend, Elvis. Oh, well, thank you very, yes. thank you very much. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, burning love. <laughs> I, I put on Elvis when Fernando and I were driving to the AMC because I hadn't listened to Elvis since I was a child. Sure. And I forgot how much I loved Elvis. I He's love great. his songs. They're so good. I think they're so good. There was a, so there's an album that came out. I don't know when, and it's the top 30 Elvis the, songs. The Elvis number on, one hits. Yeah. The Elvis yeah. number one hits. And I had a bunch of those downloaded on my like iPod touch when I was a child and I would listen to them a lot. Cause I thought they were great. And I didn't realize that the version of a little less conversation is the junkie XL radio edit. <laughs> because that song had been is was like one of Elvis's top charting songs on the radio was the Junkie XL cover or remix of that song. Mm-hmm. And so I played it back as an adult listening to it and I was listening to it and it is Junkie XL. Like it's totally like techno remix stuff. And I'm like, I can't believe as a kid, I thought Elvis actually made this <laughs> in like 1960 something and just thought he was a genius. Like it's unbelievably different. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> What a what a god to to be so ingen like ingenious about this. You thought the Beatles the Beatles were were like I just I can't believe I thought that he was a true but virtuoso. Sure. I love Elvis's music. I think it's great. So I was and I love uh what's it called Moulin Rouge, which is another Baz Luhrmann film. So that plus seeing the trailer made me very excited to see this movie. I wanted. I wanted to be able to say I liked more than one Baz Luhrmann movie because so far I only like Moulin Rouge and I really don't like anything else he's done. Mm-hmm. So I really was counting on this being good. And I liked it. Yeah, I did. I thought it was good. I think Baz Luhrmann made a good movie. There you go. Congratulations, Baz Luhrmann. You yeah. got Dylan's seal of approval on yet another one. That's 50-50. Two, two for four. I didn't like Romeo and Juliet or Greg Gatsby, but I liked Moulin Rouge and Elvis. Well, there we go. Making progress. Uh, so yeah, my thoughts on the film. I agree that it's it's pretty good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I think, you know, with biopics, especially post-Bohemian Rhapsody, because like every musical artist ever is now going to get those, their own bo- biopic treatment. Yeah. And it's always a little bit of the same. Like it's always the same rise in reaching stardom. And then they start indulging in the excesses of drugs and drinking and sex and all that stuff and having affairs and whatnot, pushing away the people they love. And then they have a identity crisis and have to get back to who they really are. 
and usually that ties in with an actual comeback in their music. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it is like the same, but I can excuse that like the very similar structure and whatnot. If we get like this really interesting portrait of the person yeah. or a really interesting portrait of the persona and seeing how the world around them received them at the time that it happened. Cause obviously you and I were not alive when Elvis was big or was alive. I mean, what it was like almost when did he die? Like 70, 77, something like that. So yeah. So more than two decades uh, that he was dead before we were born. So we know the cultural imprint he left behind, but we didn't really know a lot of in the moment, what was going on, how are people receiving him, things like that. And so it was really interesting for me to get that perspective of the persona, how people received Elvis. Uh, as for the man Elvis, I don't know if this film really was able to dig into that too much, but I think it was able to absolutely nail giving us these recreations of his iconic performances and his iconic songs and including some of his greatest hits and giving us a feel of what it'd be like to witness that live or witness that in concert and get that sort of sensation that he would give to people that were actually able to see him. So the fact that this film delivered on that, I think does make it very successful. And that's probably like the baseline for biopics. If you're not able to do that and give us the idea of the persona and the sensation that they were, Mm -hmm. then you've truly failed. Um, you reach true greatness if you're able to give us like a nice character study to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think this one does that, but it is very enjoyable to see Elvis at various moments in his life mm-hmm. doing these incredible performances, getting to see like the charisma that he oozes, having that come to life on screen through Austin Butler's performance, which was incredible. And a lot of the like mm-hmm. the editing, the high energy editing that Baz Luhrmann utilizes, which was a lot in this film, especially in the very beginning. I think those things work together to give me the idea of, okay, this is what it'd be like something that what it would be like to witness Elvis in action. And so that's great. It's great that it was able to accomplish that. Now to, to segue into my response to what you said, we first have to address the very large snowman in the room. (laughs) Mr. Tom Hanks. Indeed. Not, the best. In fact, I would no. say probably my least favorite part of the movie was Tom Hanks, which is not agree. something I often would ever say. I think that might be the first time I've ever thought that, that Tom Hanks was the worst part of the movie, which is sad. Mm-hmm. And it's shocking. It's just the performance was very, very odd, and it definitely took me way out of it at points. Agreed. So, again, talking about like the framing device mm. of this film, I like that we enter it from... Yes, that was my segues. I do enjoy that the movie is almost entirely told from like his perspective as an unreliable narrator. Yes, like I enjoy that a lot. That's a very unique spin on the biopic sort mm-hmm. of formula and structure. So I, I think that was very interesting. I like the way that, um, yeah, we delve into it from him saying, oh, I got to set the record straight about my relationship with Elvis. I didn't kill him. Um, so, so and then. You know, he comes in at various points in the story in order to fill in and narrate over some things. And so, yeah, I really like that idea. But yeah, Tom Hanks's performance and the prosthetics that they do and the accent that he has, it all was just not good. It was definitely, for me, the least interesting parts of the film. 
from a writing perspective, putting it in his character's perspective, I think is a very solid choice because it takes the story and it doesn't make us focus on trying to capture who Elvis was as a person, like away from all the cameras and the fame. It doesn't make us try and do that because odds are it'll just be wrong. Like if we look at Bohemian Rhapsody and you look at Rocket Man, odds are that's not actually how, you know, uh, uh, Freddie Mercury was completely in real life, and it's not exactly how uh, Elton John was in real life. Like, it's not perfect. It's more about capturing how they were as the artist Elton John, as the artist Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, and as Elvis Presley, the biggest selling solo artist of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's focusing on how that fame affected this normal person from Memphis, and then what that, as well as like influences from the Colonel. Did to him because that's kind of like the point of the story is not just to show Elvis and to show his whole story, but to show the impact that Colonel Tom Parker had on him as like preying on him as well as certain people around him. And I think right. that's very interesting, very interesting in relation to the music industry because there's a lot of times in the movies in these biopic movies where they will point to there's always like the record producer who's the villain, you know, that's who true, like yeah. tries to tear him down, but then it's like you don't really hammer home that point of like, they're the thing that is really bad in this music industry. But in this movie, I really felt the presence of Colonel Tom Parker being the villain of the story and preying on Elvis's talent for his own financial gain. Like, I, like that was the point of the story, like the main point as well as telling Elvis's story. So I really like that. They hammered that home. Right. I agree. I like that being the center of the film. And I do think it works towards the climax when we have, that like crescendo in that uh, relationship when we have the you're fired scene in the Vegas residency oh, I and then love that. when he's yelling at him in the lobby. And again, I really like those scenes a lot because of Austin Butler's performance. I think he nails yeah. both of those. He's um, so good in this movie. Like it's just insane. of all the yeah. biopics I've seen, his is the most genuine and authentic and crazy good. Like of all those music biopics, his nails it perfectly because he's not trying to be Elvis the person 100% he's trying to be Elvis the rock star mm-hmm. and as well as tying in what he thinks Elvis might be feeling at these points in trying to be Elvis the rock star and I think he just nails it so so well yeah I agree he truly embodies that um, and so that's going to be a very interesting performance to watch how the Oscars receive it because mm-hmm. I mean Freddie Mercury well, for Rami Malek playing Freddie Mercury uh, in Bohemian Rhapsody, won the Oscar for that. He was definitely, I would say, a benefit of chance. Yeah. In terms of like, in relation to, there had not been a big biopic for a big singer in a long time. And there had also, you know, not been a lot of great, fantastic performances of that year. So he was definitely benefiting from chance that year. Mm-hmm. But I would say Austin Butler in terms of actual skill and the performance itself, definitely 100% deserves a nomination and deserves definitely an actual shot at the Oscar. I agree. But that being said, it's only June and most of the movies that would be in contention have not been released. And so I have no idea. Yeah. Well, his is the first performance of the year that I've seen that I think, okay, this should be an Oscar nominated performance that I've seen of the year so far. Yeah. For, for best actor in a leading role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nomination wise, I definitely think he should, be in contention even as we get closer to the award season because yeah it's june so it's far out we'll see how that plays but i think this is 
such a good performance that it'll probably stick around in the conversation. Yeah, for uh, sure. For quite some time. I also think Baz Luhrmann did like direct the hell out of him and definitely framed Elvis as such a such a god figure in the film. Especially like having that degree of separation by making Tom Parker the perspective, you definitely are able to put Elvis on more of a pedestal right at the beginning by, you know, building up to that performance where he does Hound Dog in the pink suit mm-hmm. and having all this like the great cuts in the beginning. Like I love all that editing stuff where they're doing like the try images and like throwing in a bunch of like shots all blended together like a like a what is it called? Not a montage, but uh, mosaic. mosaic. Like, yeah, they like make a mosaic out of it. I think it's so great. I agree, and I think the decision to not let us see Elvis at the mm-hmm. very beginning portion before that Hound Dog performance, I thought so that was a good. very good choice. Oh yeah, yeah we're just building up this in his anticipation of it seeing takes this like guy. Fifteen minutes, I know, and for a film the build up is fantastic. Called Elvis, where everyone's expecting Elvis and see him right away, and you don't really show him until 15 minutes in yeah i think that was a great choice uh because as you said it builds up that anticipation of like this guy is the guy it does Um, the same thing as obi-wan but has the exact opposite of effect where you don't see obi-wan for the first 15 because we're actually building towards the reveal and we're not looking at completely unrelated things happening so yeah it was it was a great choice that they had there um so yeah let's talk about something that i'm pretty interested in uh the overall like social response to Elvis and how he's been received over the past few years. Yeah. With the cultural appropriation question. Yes. Cause that's always fascinating to me. And a lot of people are like, yeah, he's a culture vulture. He stole all that stuff. Mm-hmm. A bunch of black artists were not able to make it big or prosper because he stole music and stole their opportunities and things like that. And this movie has a very particular <laughs> response to that. It feels like it seems like it was very aware of that being the conversation that people would have mm. and have had about Elvis for quite some time. And so when a new biopic is coming out about him, they sort of anticipated that discussion, that discourse, and they wanted to, uh, you know, nip it in the bud, I think, a little bit. Yeah. So this one goes out of its way to show the influence of black music on Elvis and his respect for it. So we see him as a kid living in a mostly black community, and he's going to uh, these, like, and his song and dance sort of things. It's like a church. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, actually going in and seeing uh, like gospel music live from the chorus and things like that. We see him going to clubs and bars, going like on Beale Street in Memphis, going to see Little Richard perform. And he's mm-hmm. out there talking with B.B. King, so yeah. these prominent black musicians that he's uh, in contact with. So they do all of that to show like, yeah, Elvis didn't just steal this. He had true appreciation and respect for this. So how do you feel about that? What are your thoughts like coming into it about the whole cultural appropriation thing, how the film handled it um, and whether you think it's like excusing it or it's doing a reasonable job of like defending and justifying. I mean, it does the best it can, but there's just truth. The truth is not on Elvis's side. And the truth is that at the end of the day, he did take traditionally black songs and profit off of them in the in a way that african-american artists couldn't at the time and it's true like there's not much more he could have done at the time other than you know play the songs and bring it forward into like a culture like into the zeitgeist of what the culture was to bring attention to how great this music is but i the movie doesn't highlight it and i don't know if it's even like i don't know how like 
they don't show him actually contribute and contributing back towards the black community. And it doesn't seem like he did. So it's not like he took the money he earned and gave it back to the community that he grew up in. And that is to me where the issue is. It's not that like it does, it is already bad that he's taking song. Cause he says like, or uh, what's his name? BB King says that, uh, that uh, you could get arrested for, you know, performing these songs and gyrating your hips, but I might get arrested just for walking across the street. And it's like kind of identifying, like you get the opportunity to go out there and play these songs in front of big crowds. And that the issue is that you're playing the songs. We don't even get the opportunity to play them. We might just get arrested walking across the street. That's kind of like sidestepping it a little bit mm-hmm. while still trying to identify that that is a problem. But like, right. He is given the opportunity to take these songs and make them popular. I just wish, and I wish it was true, and I don't know if it is, that Elvis gave back to the community. He could have. I have no idea. But the movie didn't make it seem like he did. And if he didn't, then that's not good. Like, if you're going to profit off of African-American culture, and he did write some of his own songs, to be fair. Some of the songs he performed were originally. Here's what I want to ask, though. I don't know, like, what how it was like in the music industry back then, but certainly Mm -hmm. nowadays, if you take samples or if you cover a song, you have to like credit the original author and you, I mean, don't royalties get funneled into the original artist as well? Uh, Definitely at the time that didn't matter. From what I'm aware of, at the time it didn't matter. Like you could take a song from a black artist, do your own cover of it and they won't see a penny of it at the time. Oh, uh, there probably is more that. The In the 1950s, then, sure. you definitely could just take a song that a black artist had written and do your own version of it and be successful financially, and there's nothing they could do. Like, there is no legal course of action. You definitely could do that at the time. And from what I could gather, it seemed like the songs, like a lot of the songs he was doing, I feel like weren't one person's song, but were like songs of the community. Like, let me let me check, but I feel like Hound Dog wasn't like, someone's actual original song that they wrote and that he took from that individual person. I think that one, again, I'm not too sure the it's all right. Little mama. The first song I think is the case for that. The hound dog may have been the mama Thornton or whatever. I forget what her name was, but she was like featured in the film singing it, I believe. So it may have been her original thing, but also it seemed like he had a like he and she knew of each other, like he knew her. And so I'm wondering if, that's the case that with each of the songs that he'll sing and cover, like he'll actually go to the artist and ask for permission and then maybe work mm-hmm. out something with, I don't know, the royalties or whatnot. Yeah, I think I Hound no Dog clue. might have been Mama Thornton's actual original song. Yeah. And then he just took it. Well, again, we don't know if he just took it. He could have. He could have asked. As Tom I have no idea. Indian. I don't know what like the contracts were like. Because they don't go into that, and maybe that's a problem that they don't go into. I don't know if it's a problem. Maybe, I don't think we'd well, want the to problem might be the like, yeah, you might not want to get bogged down in addressing that too much. But the other side of that is maybe there would be nothing to address, and I just don't know. That's true. Certainly, if there was like no, if he took these songs without asking one that's bad, mm-hmm. if he took them and there was no like contract in place where he would be able to put royalties to the author or the mm-hmm. original singer, that's that worse. I think would also be bad. That those things if, would be very, very bad. If it and, were the case that he did those things, uh, like he was able to ask permission and then the artist did see royalties from it, mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I think it's okay. Because yeah. for the most part, like the accusations of it being like, oh, he's stealing black music, like rhythm and blues and things like that and gospel music. Mm-hmm. 
he certainly used those sounds, but he mixed it with other things as well. Like he had yeah. country flavors in there and later on, I would he say would do like using, a Hawaiian thing. So yeah, he I would say him blended using, things. He didn't just outright seal it all the time. Like he did cover songs, yeah. but using those yeah. themes and those genres of music to his own advantage and blending that in his own style for his own original songs. I don't consider it to be an issue. I think it's definitely true that we need to identify that he did use those genres. Like it wasn't like he came well, up with the sound. Everyone himself. knows he used those yeah. genres. Yeah. And I think the issue is, well, there's some people who are like Elvis is the king, the God, the inventor of rock and roll. And I don't like, know if anyone no. says he's the inventor, but people can say um, he's the king. And I wouldn't like, in a, he's the number one best-selling artist. So you could true. call him the king for that. Like that's why I got the moniker, but then you can also point out, well, there wasn't fair, opportunity for all those other black artists who are working in the same sounds which is true that is the case um elvis was able to bring that sound to the mainstream white audiences and profit off of it largely i don't know if that is like a very nefarious master plan that he had though i think that was just he grew up with these sounds which i think establishes in film so it's not like appropriation if he literally was in that community those are the sounds he was exposed to like that's how he's raised yeah so i think that's very fair and just the fact that like the racial composition of the country at the time and segregation and things like that, that he, it's more palatable for mainstream white audiences to hear that sound from a white person. I don't know if you can blame that on Elvis so much as like, again, just the unfortunate situation of racism at the time yeah. being to the point where like, that's the only would, way people will digest that sort of music. I would like to go back and do research on to whether or not like he contributed anything back to his community, the black community they grew up in, or if he like gave credit to any of these original artists, these original black artists or any of these black influences that he had. Like, I'd be curious if he gave credit or if he contributed back in any way. Cause like he is taking these songs that he didn't write and taking these sounds that he's inspired by and he's making his own music out of it. I want to know if he actually gave credit to it. Which I, I, I would assume that he would. he would. Yeah. I feel like he would based on what the movie was telling me. But I don't know if he actually did. And that's something I'd have to research. The bigger problem with the movie is that there's another issue they don't address. <laughs> they said we're not going to touch that at all. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> course, they the they don't touch it even slightly. But for those of you who don't know, who have seen the movie Elvis, by the way, we're spoiling it. Obviously, I feel like we just. Well, this spoiler, Elvis yeah. is not alive, so. <laughs> yeah, but in the movie, there is the introduction of Priscilla Presley, and the interesting is when he's in Germany, stationed there during his service, and he meets her, and she is the daughter of a, an American political figure who's in Germany, and there's a scene where they are interacting with each other, and they share a kiss, and it's very passionate, and what the movie very strongly sidesteps, even with its narration, is that in that scene, in time, technically, literally... Priscilla is 13 years old and Elvis is 22 or 23 years old. I thought it was 14 and 24. Uh, sure. I mean, it's still 10 years. Yeah. It's not year gap, which is crazy. And I just don't understand. And they I, really I, strongly sidestep it. Yeah. Really strongly. Very, There's very no, strange. I mean, perhaps if you were looking back on it, well, at the time, maybe nobody did address. Like maybe his family didn't. Well, that's address what I'm saying. Maybe... I mean, it was it was like the 50s, 60s. Again, this is not excusing. Like you see the segregation, things like that, and racism was rampant, and things like that. So we understand it was a very different time. It doesn't excuse anything that's going on, but you can understand why. I guess that was not as big of a, of a controversy as it 
would be today if yeah. the biggest artist in the world was doing something like that. Um, so yeah, that was crazy. However, yeah, I didn't really expect the movie to address that at all because ultimately they I didn't expect them to do it want either. you to like be invested in the story about Elvis and they don't want to shine a light on like, this gross thing he did. Yeah, a very indefensible, yeah, just wildly insane action me, that he did. So yeah. yeah. For me, from a filmmaking perspective, I feel like writing it, you know, it's not like at the time, I don't think his family was like, oh, she's 14. Then they had like a whole conversation together. So why would you write that into the story? But I think it's just something that we all need to know about Elvis and understand. And just we do need to address it outside of the movie that that's very gross and wrong. And Elvis isn't great because of that. You know, that's one of his big, you know, character flaws is that he fell in love with a very young girl and that's very gross if this was if this was today chris hansen would be having a very serious <laughs> conversation with elvis very true um so yeah so other Sir, do you know why i'm here today um here's see a little more <laughs> <laughs> oh no i'm, no I'm chris hansen with dateline nbc oh no i gotta get out of here <laughs> oh no the cameras you know who i am I'm the king. As everyone and it, it, it would really be a jailhouse rock then. <laughs> Go on, dude, body in the country. That would be because of pedophilia. Be a whole new outlook on that song. Yeah. Um, okay, so to wind down our discussion, are there other things you want to bring up about this film? I guess it is crazy that he. I mean, just going back to what we were just talking about. He almost went to jail for gyrating his pelvis, but he could still do stuff with a 14-year-old girl. That's kind of nuts. That is insane. Yeah, talk about the weird moral outrage we had at If they had addressed it, yeah, if they had addressed the fact that she was 14, it would have been like, that's the thing you should be mad about, (laughs) Mr. Senator. Like, who cares if he's twisting his pelvis on screen? You should be mad that he's twisting his pelvis at a 14-year-old in person. I know. Like, get your priorities in line. truly insane and they could have used that if they actually were upset about like all the gyrations and whatnot they could have pointed to the fact that uh, hey uh uh-oh he's after a 14 year old girl this is i think this is what happens when you allow people to go up there and shake their hips they're gonna go after your kids i think if that had been like if i feel like even in the 50s if that had been something that like became widely known i feel like even then he'd still be even in the 50s people would start probably still like be upset about it even I the 50s and 60s so. i think they would 14 and he's 24 i feel like like not as much as today certainly but i feel like there'd definitely be people like she's way too young like, i feel like it's I definitely think people, like, some people maybe but honestly i don't think most people would bat an eye too much at that yeah anyway going back to the movie and not elvis's actual life i think baz Luhrmann does a really really good job of telling the story and telling the whole story of Elvis. I think that's a very like big feat to try and, and you know, do is tell Elvis story from start to finish. And I think he does it very efficiently. Like, I feel like I know Elvis's like a good chunk of Elvis's story from what he did, which is very impressive. And I feel like his editing, this might sound weird for people who have seen Elvis, but I feel like his editing was very restrained from what he usually does with his movies. Mm-hmm. And it was very calculated and precise. And so it worked really well. Like if you watch Great Gatsby or especially Romeo and Juliet, it's all over the place. It's crazy. It doesn't even make sense. 
Like he did it really well in Moulin Rouge and then went batshit crazy with his other movies. And now I feel like he's coming back to his roots with Elvis and he's willing to take risks with it. And sometimes it doesn't pan out like Colonel Tom Parker wandering in a robe through the <laughs> casino in the narration parts. Doesn't work great. But. Well, a part of that is Tom Hanks, but like it, it doesn't like look really great either. And it just doesn't land very well. But a lot of the other editing stuff, making it quick pace and adding montages. That's always been a very good way to tell a long story, like tell a story that takes place over decades in a very short amount of time is very quick montages. You see it in Goodfellas. You see it in, I don't know, Goodfellas is the best example I can come up with, but <laughs> it works. Like it works really, really well. And Baz Luhrmann is the king of the crazy montage and he really sells how awesome Elvis is with these crazy montages. Like if it had just been a straight concert shot, like, like Bohemian Rhapsody, like the end of it where he's playing, that would have been boring and I wouldn't have gotten the impression of how amazing and profound Elvis was on stage as a performer. And in this, I really felt it. Like I felt how great Elvis would have been live and why people loved watching Elvis live. Like his energy was there. Right. I agree. That's definitely the greatest strength of the film. Yeah. Um, but yeah to me, the greatest weakness was just an, a lack of emotional weight and actual exploration of Elvis the person. Like mm -hmm. we see as we're zipping through his life, we get those major milestones, but we never really sit with him enough to, I think, understand him and understand where he's at in his life. Like we sort of, like, the relationship with his mother is supposed to be a very important thing, but we're introduced to her as she's in the middle of the concert of Hound Dog. Well, I guess technically she was, like, praying beforehand, but it's, like, when we actually see her face, and then after that they have a fight, and we never really spend any time with them where they're actually, like, enjoying each other's company or anything like that, and then she well, dies pretty early on. She called there's a scene where they're in the dressing room and she calls him uh what's her nickname for him? Yeah, booby? She says booby. Sure. Yeah, booby. Because it made us laugh in the theater. Yeah, again, I didn't really like get the sense of a, a strong connection there. They don't go into the romance with Priscilla at all. She shows up like a few times. We get nothing. Yeah, I forget what they called his like Memphis people, like the little crew he had. Yeah, um, they're we, barely in it, but they're supposed to be a big part. I know, they're barely in it. We did nothing of his Hollywood years. And again, I also, there's like certain things that they say that he wants. Like he always mentions this, like wanting to be like James Dean and wanting to be in the movies. Like that was one of his big goals. Mm -hmm. But we never really know why. And then, of course, it never pays off of us actually see him trying to act and then failing well, in the movie career. Um, I'm okay we, with skipping through it because it is Tom Parker's perspective. And Tom Parker's like, look at how great we did in these movies and look at how amazing he was. And then we know that these movies were terrible and they right. were failures pretty much. And he wasn't very good at acting and like he's unfulfilled because of that. And he wants to try and do these things. I don't like that they breeze by because I didn't know he was in contention to be in a Star Wars born with. I know that was great. Barbara Streisand. And I was upset that they kind of just brushed past that where he's like, yeah, Barbara and Tom don't get along. And I was like, I wish you had spent more time with that because that's like seems so significant. Like it could have been that emotional pinpoint where he wants to do this thing and be a really big actor. But Tom is the thing that prevents him from doing it. Agreed. Yeah. And I wish been, they hadn't scooted past it. That would have been cool to explore. Maybe in real life it wasn't as big of a thing as the movie kind of makes it out to be. But from what Fair. I understood, it seemed like it could have been a very big part of his life. Like that could have been his comeback. His right. second comeback from those Vegas shows of getting stuck doing that. His second comeback could have been him playing this great actor or being this great actor. Right. Like he always wanted to be. And then he didn't get to do it because of uncle Tom or Colonel Tom. <laughs> uncle, uncle Tom. Tom. <laughs> um, <laughs> God damn. Because of Colonel Tom. 
Um, so yeah, and then in that same scene where they're talking about the Star Wars Born thing, we also hear him talking about nobody's going to remember me. And he's like nearing age 40 and all this. And I don't know why he didn't believe that he was going to be remembered or that he was a big star when we just heard not too long ago, like he had a 1.5 billion people watching him live as he's doing a concert Mm. and he's still doing Vegas residencies and is extremely successful doing that. He's the number one selling artist, solo artist of all time. So I don't know why he doesn't believe that people are going to remember him. And that'd be interesting if we got to look into that like his imposter syndrome or him being unfulfilled by the lack of the Hollywood career. And so he's like, that's the one thing that's hanging that I'm hung up on. Like that would have been interesting. And then also we never really know why he ever wanted to be remembered. Like we never get this idea that he cares much about a huge legacy. That wasn't why he got into in the first place. So it's these random things that like, I don't know. I don't feel like I know enough of what he wanted, why he wanted these things um, at various points in the film. So that, lack of an emotional connection with Elvis uh, was a weaker part of the film. But Once again, it's like a lack of balance. They either should have yeah. gone more into the idea of keeping it Colonel Tom Parker's perspective or gone more into let's dig into Elvis as the person. Right. Like they're not balancing it great, but I still, to me, I can make up for it a little bit because I'm still very interested in that Elvis persona and how it changed over time. And I just wish... I wish I could believe that what they were doing was genuine. Like you say that you want to hear more about his imposter syndrome, but like from the lack of like discussion about it, like at all, it makes me feel like maybe it's just something they included that might not have even been true. Maybe he didn't even have an imposter syndrome. Right. Like it seemed like the point of the movie was supposed to be about Colonel Tom Parker preying on him. Why are they trying to add in stuff where he feels worthless and insecure but without delving too much into it like is that part of tom like is tom parker making him feel this way or is he feeling this way for other things like i wish they dug more into tom parker's direct effects on him rather than like the overall plot points that tom parker does to change the trajectory of his life like they don't get into the actual nitty-gritty of how he preyed on him mentally right agree what i wish they did because then you would believe like oh of course he has imposter syndrome. Look at what Tom says to him and what Tom does and how Tom makes him feel all the time. And they don't really show those parts. Exactly. So yeah, that stuff was to me the weaker parts, but as you said, the electrifying performances are definitely what made this film stand out. Uh, And so at the, what's your favorite performance from this? What do you mean? Like, like of Elvis's performances? Yeah, that we saw in the film. Oh, what was man. your favorite one from those? My favorite performance was the Hound Dog. I just thought it was so like just edited incredibly well. I thought it worked really well. Seeing I thought it was a great way. Ladies like getting up yeah. and screaming. Oh, and, I thought it was so great. funny when Tom is just like focusing so heavily on the one girl <laughs> who's like wants to scream, but she's like hesitant. It like is as cheesy as it is, it it really does a good job of showing you the actual effect that's like, the yeah the like, persona like this is how it was yeah received. So like it's, it's not top, like of course it it's not like actually how it happened it's not actually what happened to these women when they saw him dance and stuff but it like it it's like it shows you how important his gyrating movements were to his character like to his persona like exactly how important those movements were to everything he was and i thought that that just worked so well my favorite part of the movie though is when he's in the Vegas scene and he's doing like the improvisations with everybody to build yes, up the song. Sir. Yes, sir. That one was yeah. so fun. Oh, I love that part. 
I thought that was fantastic. I thought Austin Butler was killing it. I thought all the perform like the idea of him taking all these very different instruments, like Elvis the real person, taking all these different instruments and throwing them on a stage and then just like telling them what he wants, like in the moment, like trying to build it up and trying to build up to what he was trying to do. And he's building and building and building. And then they like hits the nail and he's performing now. I was oh. I thought it was so good. I agree. That was definitely the standout. I love that's another sort of trope of the like biopic thing of when they're building up a song. And usually it's like, oh, this big hit and that they're building it up. But this one, it was a song we had already heard um, that he had already performed. But it's mm-hmm. him just improving as he's building it up and making it more grand for the yeah. big stage. And so I yeah. loved that little spin on it. Yeah, that yeah. was definitely a great part. I also, also like Baz Lerman just really knows how to build. Like, inc- like it doesn't stop. Like it goes for so long, and it's just tense and tense and tense and tense, and you're working it up, and then finally, it's just like this big explosion of just awesomeness. I yes, mean, sir. truly the edging master. Like, <laughs> absolutely incredible. Very true. Edge of my seat. That is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know. Uh, what you mean. Yeah, all those gyrations we're getting to. Oh, you know, uh, I the, wanted to um, scream, but I couldn't in that theater. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Nicole Kidman told me not to before the movie started. <laughs> yeah, you're an AMC guy. I didn't. She said, get I know Nicole you're seeing Kidman. Elvis. Keep it in your pants. That's what she says <laughs> at the end of the video nice. when Elvis plays. Um. So yeah, the I really like that part. I like the '68 comeback special where it ends in him singing. Oh yeah, that one song, that was great. Like that protest song. I thought that was cool. And then the, very- the whole time, Tom Hanks is just trying to get him to sing. The Christmas song. Uh, yeah. Here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus. We will sing, here comes Santa Claus. We will yeah. do it. God, he just won't stop. They did not. Uh, and then the very, very ending, that one was very moving to me. Like when we see oh, him. yeah. And then it shifts to the archival footage of actual Elvis singing Unchained Melody. Yeah. That was outstanding. Like his last, last performance. And you could see, I mean, the man doesn't look great. He's like slurring he's literally beforehand. dying, but and he's still killing it. So amazing, like an incredible performance of that. And this is like on his last few legs, his last days. That was just astonishing. So seeing that really did move me at the end of the film. Um, yeah. So yeah, quite, quite incredible stuff. All right. So any other last minute thoughts? No, that's about it. That's, you know, I liked it. I really did. I thought it was a good movie. All right. So out of how many popped collar embroidered jumpsuits out of five. I'm, uh, I'm going to give it a four. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to give it a four. Thank you very much. I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to give it a 3.5. Damn. It's good. I think it's good. I need to get back to who I really am. Yeah, well, you know me. You know how much I love things that are overly stylistic in a very good way. It is very and stylistic. This movie, this movie is that to the max. Agreed. Like stylistic and a very the only thing that didn't work stylistically wise was the first time when when Doja Cat showed up. Oh yeah, I that didn't work. And here as well, like the use of modern music, which Baz kind of does the a lot because sec- he I only does it, it twice in this movie, and the second time he does it, I think it works when he's like driving through uh, Beale Street and he goes up to the club. Mm-hmm. I thought I liked it there. I really thought it was cool. The Doja Cat one with Hound Dog, bad, bad, I agree. not good. I agree. I was very worried that they were gonna. He was gonna fill it with that, and he didn't. And it was the only time I didn't like it. And so, Baz Luhrmann restrained himself, and I'm very grateful. I was hoping that every song would be a Junkie XL cover, though. <laughs> I thought that would be amazing if he did that. Like he did, like rate, like crazy edits of all the songs and made them more modern. I feel like 
if they did it right, it would be cool. Like just like to capture the essence of the electricity of the performance. Cause he kind of does that in the opening scene with hound dog is it's very much like very electrified and very like intense for what they're actually like playing on the stage is definitely over the top. Mm-hmm. So it like, works for me. Right. All right. But so I, that yeah. is Elvis. Yeah, that is go. all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day.